Race matters. 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 to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us and it will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge stories and song and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We're broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. You're listening to Race Matters. This is a show made by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sharika Hellaludin. You're hearing the work of artist, researcher and community event organiser Fionn Bastos, a.k.a. Papaphilia. This track, all a syllables of the great tongue, galvanised a lot of us upon its release and really felt like a culmination of Fionn's long relationship with experimental music and her pursuit to interrogate the aesthetics of political representation and cultural supremacy in this colony. As an artist, Fionn works primarily in sound and a style of narrativized performance under the name Papaphilia. Her 2021 album, Remembrance of Things to Come, is a series of meditations on the cyclical character of time and grieving the violence of life within the decaying colonial politics of so-called Australia. It intertwines hard kicks, industrial beats and acid oscillations with warped and abstracted vocal samples. Performing as Papaphilia, she continually draws the listener's attention back to rhythm, voice and emotion, centering in her work those who are resisting oppressive power structures. She's long been an outspoken voice for anti-racism, anti-colonial resistance and isn't one to just speak without action. Having coordinated community-based projects, facilitating artist and sound workshops, advocacy campaigning and community building, She's also a director of Creative Sector Consultancy, Future Tense, and the co-producer of Writing and Concepts, a subversive lecture series. Fionn Bastos is someone who speaks and moves with intention, which is something that you'll hear throughout the conversation she had with Darren Lasarkis. But first, this is one from Papaphilia herself. Dreams have started residing in my eyes. Thank you. 
Fionn Bastos is an artist, researcher, and community event organizer. As an artist, she works primarily in sound and narrativized performance under the name Papaphilia. Her work is committed to interrogating and resisting colonial powers and forging connections and infrastructure to dismantle how those power structures show up in our everyday lives. Fionn, thank you so much for joining us on Race Matters. Uh, let's start with your musical output and how that's in relation to your, I guess, broader politics. We just heard the track Dreams Have started residing in my eyes from your 2021 album remembrance of things to come what was the intention you went into with crafting this album it's a bit of old work and a bit of new work colliding so it's like an old sense of self and old questions for myself and then sort of new ways of um, putting them out there and articulating those ideas so I think a lot of my old work comes from sort of trying to understand myself um, in a lot of different contexts so you know grief um, and yeah, growing in my, you know, early 20s through my 30s. But I think when I got to putting this album together, it was really nice to reflect back and and think about how a lot of those experiences uh, exist in a broader sort of like intergenerational reality. Um, You know, a lot of my grief was about the loss of family um, and the lack of sort of connection that everybody has and felt to their culture and to one another um because my you know my family immigrated when my mum and her siblings were immigrated to so-called australia when my um, her family and her generation were like in their early teens um you know the conditions of uh you know cultural conditions in that time are very much focused on assimilation and um you know seeing the effects of that on my family you know over the t- my lifetime and um, thinking about the ways that it has led to things like, you know, early deaths in the family, um, you know, lots of uh, mental health issues um, and whatnot, it was sort of like, okay, I'm going to look into this as both like ex- expressing my own personal experiences, but through also like my um, relationship to like sonic culture, um, sonic South Asian culture really, like in old ways, in new ways, and to sort of, yeah, bring that together. Yeah, it was sort of like trying to unravel little bits of ghosts and histories and things that are closed off in my own life and putting them into this beautiful story of like, um, you know, the cyclical nature of time and experience, which is like I am one of many people that, you know, are now existing in a in my form trying to understand the lot that I've been given and who I am in another colony <laughs> elsewhere. You know, so it was, it's like all about all those complexities, but also like grieving, but celebrating and moving forward. Mm. I mean, you referenced this idea of your relationship relationship to sonics. What is it or why is it about um, sound and music that you find this is the medium by which I will process this? Yeah, I love this question because, you know, it's funny. I, I actually started off as a um, painter. That was my first sort of artistic form of expressing myself. But I found that sounds just feels like it's more disembodied, less concrete, you know, less about like concepts and conventions that already exist. I think I was already so close and embedded with um, NAM's experimental community for most of my life because it was a way that I've, I was, I felt like welcomed to express myself without having to deal with an already hugely established community like, you know, the visual arts world, which is just, I just didn't gel with that space at all. But like, you know, people were really ready to like, do crazy stuff <laughs> in the experimental world. So for me, it was like a place where I could develop my own capacity to make music, but also like, yeah, find my own language to do that too. 
And I just find that there is something like about the sort of about sonic relationships and sonic experience and um, sonic embodiment that is just a little bit like precognition in a way. You know, it's it's not about meaning or and you know it is about meaning, but it is about you know, pulling out those sorts of feelings in yourself or allowing yourself to vibrate in harmony with something that is hitting you as a body. And I love that because sometimes it hits unknown spots, um, which can bring out emotions and ideas that you didn't know were there. So I find it like a quite a healing thing, but also like, yeah, a really great tool to explore oneself and express oneself. Because sometimes you don't even know how to say things in words. Sometimes it just needs to be a yell you know, or a, yeah, a tone. Mm. Yeah. We get so caught up in sometimes over-intellectualizing sound and music, but really there's also like a physicality to it. Yes. Yeah. That's it. And as someone who's like big on dance culture as well, those intersections between dance and, and sound are really important to me because it's like I'm a vibrating, moving body, you know, as a as a species entity. We decided to become a locomotive at some stage for a reason. I don't know what that is, but I'm just vibing with it and going with what's been, you know, what we, what we do. Well, it's beautiful. It's beautiful not to know what that is. I think that's the that's what's so amazing about it. Um, and speaking of, I guess, you know, the musical language that you've developed, let's, I guess, talk into the more technical sides of things and how you curate music as papophilia. You know, within the high intensity beats of your music, we also hear these warped, abstract South Asian samples. How does your music making affect your relationship specifically with your mixed South Asian heritages and also as a, as a settler in this colony? Yeah, it's it's a lot to sort of contend with because, you know, there's a lot of balance going on in terms of sort of like what I feel I have access to and the right to sort of play with and explore and also at the same time being like, okay, the world of people is being subjected to my exploitation as it comes of myself, which is something that, you know, can feel uncomfortable at times. But for me, it is about like really unpacking things that are familiar to me and, and, and finding those things and bringing them into a conversation with myself. Um, and also through that journey, I get to learn more about like traditions and cultures and things that are that are part of my family and part of my heritage. Um, it's a yeah, right now even more than ever. While I'm exploring a lot of new samples for the next release, um, I'm learning so much about like the very detailed understandings of the purpose and behind ritual or sound or like particular drums that I'm using as well. And it's like so for me, it's it's this beautiful educational pathway but also like a reclamation as well of things that I think are really important um and I don't want to sort of you know express an ownership over but I really want to like show a pride of understanding and um a pride of connection to those sort of cultural elements so it gives it's a vehicle for that in a lot of ways um a very public one (laughs) but like one that I sort of hope is there to help people inform their ways of understanding themselves because you know, existing in a colony, there is so much sickness of what, you know, it's a predatory culture that tells you what to do and really intersects with you on like, um, in terms of race and sex, sexual identity. So, um, you know, it tries to take that away. So also engaging with it is a good, like, stuff you (laughs) to the cultural conditions we're faced with. Um, So, yeah, it's been really amazing for that. I have been also able to share it a lot more with my family and we've really struggled to find lines of communication around this part of myself and ourselves. Um, So, yeah, that's been a really great point too to, you know, they they hear the music, they see it and they're understanding a lot more where I come from in terms of my 
passion. Yeah. What are those breakthroughs like with your family? Weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> weird and slow, but like they're very proud of, of what's going on. They see that it's like, you know, created a reaction in the world. But I think um, there's still a lot of confusion. There's a lot to sort of understand and unpack because at the same time, I am still pushing a lot of quite difficult ideas into the world. Um, you know, I, I'm just releasing a film clip this week that has, you know, a lot of not safe for work vibes going on. Um, and to be able to show people like, you know, I think that the human body and and in all its forms is is beautiful and that, you know, um, contortion and complexity and seeing things in, in new ways, breaking through taboo, you know, aesthetics and representations, those things are amazing to me, but they can be quite frightening for my family to sort of see as well because they're like, wow, she's crazy. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, we got this. Like, <laughs> we can do this and... You know, I, I I feel these things because I came from them. It's like, you guys have given me this as a kernel. I'm just taking it to its full extreme and mm. really running with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's shame's a hell of a thing. So we're working on it. Mm. Yeah, slowly pushing the needle. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you touched on some of the sounds that you're, um, that you're familiar with and developing a, film, a familiarity with now in the process of making your new music. How do you find these, these sounds? Like, how do you dig for them? I have been a trawler of the world for a very long time. Like, yeah, the guts of stuff I look for. So it's, it's quite funny. Like, I will sit on YouTube and just, like, go from link to link to link with a million tabs going, like, yeah, I will sit and find. And I think it's funny because, like, I am also a researcher, like, you know, in terms of, um, I guess there's a bit of academic research, there's a bit of sort of uh, research in my consultancy, and my job is to, like, troll the back end of stuff to find hidden things that don't really exist. And, you know, having been part of a lot of Sonic communities that were quite DIY and we didn't, you know, weren't very established, weren't part of an industry, I kind of know how to find those hidden things um yeah there's ways so like you know back in the day when I was really obsessed with gong music from South Africa or Durban in South Africa I was like on Facebook groups that were run by like the community sitting there just in the background listening and like going on illegal file share platforms just to like listen to their music I'm like there's ways you got to get in the chat room you got to like follow the links and believe in the like expertise of like marginalized people as well or people that are hidden voices and like you can find them take every dot seriously so yeah i'm just an obsessive compulsive troller <laughs> and follow every link and you know make, allow my computer to die from not ever getting turned <laughs> off <laughs> Yeah. It's so fascinating hearing it from like an artist's perspective of how they find these sounds because as someone who like listens and is, you know, as not an accomplished digger as you are, sometimes I'll be like in a YouTube hole as well and like clicking link to link to link and yeah. I'll come across a song that is clearly like a sample from a song that I already know and I'll have this moment of like, oh, I found oh it. Yes. I wasn't even trying to look for it and I have now like this new like found connection with this artist and this song that like I never knew like would have existed. So it's, just, it's a very like satisfying, yes. gratifying feeling. Yeah, and look, the thing is like a lot of work I've done in terms of just like I, I haven't done a lot of music writing so I just don't have a lot of time up my sleeve but when I do, it is always about the fact that sound is a reference all the time. Like there is so much knowledge in a song um a sort of 
a very important sort of uh, doctor in this area, Dr. Lucretia Quintanilla. Um, I've done a bit of work with her before on her work, and we we make that sort of idea that like there are histories and knowledges inside of a song. So like say that you know um, she's from El Salvador, but um, the community, the broader community, don't really recognize the um, Afro heritage that's really important to there. But you hear it in the music; it's there. It's like undeniable because of the 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 instruments that are used, the tonalities, the rhythmic patterns, like those things are undeniable. So it's like if also if you break that stuff down, you can learn so much. Mm. I want to pivot a little bit to what it looks like to um, put this music making or this music digging into practice and maybe putting it into a public setting. Um, there's been an expansion in diasporic club nights or people organizing events around shared identity and cultural markers. How do you make sure that you're resisting trying to fit into, you know, trending or dominant tastemaking to forge meaningful community around these spaces? Yeah, it's um, it's a tough one again, especially because I think I'm seeing a lot of groups sort of form now and just sort of sitting and waiting to see how it works. Because I've been in the world of you know organizing grassroots community stuff for a long time so I'm very familiar with the ups and downs of this stuff and what sort of makes and breaks things so I think look it's really nice to see it I think we've really been I've been really benefiting from like making forging connections with other people that share um, identity or share um, cultural connections it's been a beautiful thing but I think we are quite we a lot of us have been through it already and so we're very quick to make sure that you know, we also take into account our class differences, our multiple heritage differences, our different um, castes, you know, as well as another thing that we're very, very trying to be very aware of. But the thing is, it's like not everybody's on the same political page. Um, so I think, you know, going into it with a level of flexibility to be able to see these things as an opportunity for dialogue instead of an opportunity for like, um, you know, rupture is really important. So, um, you know, takes a lot of patience and, you know, just a lot of believing in things unfolding over time. But I think that, yeah, those, where those conversations are lacking, there are people to, to have to bring that conversation in. And I feel like over time, yeah, these things will unfold in a very dynamic way because, you know, sometimes my closest allies are the queer community and sometimes it's not, and that's not part of the trajectory I'll take. Sometimes, you know, my closest um allies can just be folk that I've had a long history with whether they're cis white folk or not um as well so I think you know we're all very aware that we need to make make room for the fact that in the colony things are just yeah absolutely all over the place and interwoven web but you know controlling some of those links um by connecting through some through lines is important but without being like dogmatic about it Totally. I think like, uh, you know, a trend with some of these kind of young and emerging kind of groups who are creating these spaces for their communities. Um, there's this sense that like, you know, we're doing it first. or this is something that, uh, you know, we're, make, we're carving out this space. And it's a bit like, yes, but also a lot of people have been doing this for a long, long time before you. But, you know, maybe because of time or like generational divides, like they're not aware of or maybe don't have the proximity to it. What kind of advice would you give to people who are coming up in that scene and, you know, open and seeking that kind of connection to learn from what's come before them? Yeah, um, my biggest piece of advice is never use the word new. <laughs> like, that's no such thing. Everything is a variation on form. That is a, like, 
a constant of like this planet. So please don't do that. Um, but I think, look, as someone, like you said, who's a self-obsessed bloody trawler of the world, I think that's the thing that I look for is also like, you know, the previous incarnations of that. And I think that that's a really important thing to do is to ask your elders, you know, even if they're like a, one generation above you, like, because you want that advice, you want to know like what has made and broken things before. I mean, you know, when I started putting on like small raves for a minute, you know, I, I really needed to seek the advice and understanding from folk who'd done that before. There's always people that have already done things that you're trying to do. So look into it, especially in Nam. Like there's a long, long history of radical grassroots organization. Um, so yeah, seek advice, seek connection. I think that's the best thing that we can do is just like linking with one another, getting to know one another and establishing relationships with a diverse range of people who are here because that's how we're going to be able to yeah push back on a lot of the pressures that come to us. But yeah, know your know your history. It's the biggest thing. Yeah, it's interesting watching watching it kind of develop alongside, you know, obviously this doesn't exist in a vacuum in terms of time and, you know, in the way that social media operates now in terms of like aesthetics, like are so like, you know, important or like um, we're so aesthetic driven like at the moment and there can be a trap either musically or visually to articulate cultural identity in a very particular and obvious way to cut through or to reach your audience or a perceived audience. Um, and in a lot of your creative work, I know you touched on this before a little bit, you attempt to bring in the the intangible experiences that guide very embodied um, and ancestral forms of knowledge. Um, can you speak a little bit more about that, that like intangibility? Yeah, well, I think one thing I just want to like really put out there is that like, you know, we exist in a colony that wants us to create for it and to create a language of understanding for those that are unwilling to do the work themselves. And they really should, given the context of where we are. So a big thing that sort of started to come into fruition for me was making the work I want to make, regardless of whether it lands or not. Um, and I, I really push that across the board in all aspects of what I work in, because I see this sort of thing, this pigeonholing happen with every different um, cultural group in Nam. You know, there's always a perform for me instead of like we're willing to listen to you with openness and I think that has really driven you know the creative industry and the arts industry here to be really really boring really boring and not pushing any boundaries and, and then also eating into you know the capacity for the broader community to understand like that risk-taking is such an important part of the creative endeavor um, and yeah like you know the aesthetics of things I think it's hard because you want to you want to signal you know create these little signals and symbologies and signs and references that people are used to so that they can understand what you're doing and follow, you know, especially in the, a world of like fast paced messaging, you know, I myself see myself scrolling through things and being like, oh, the message didn't hit, so I've got to move on. Um, and we don't, you know, we'll have time to be able to absorb things. That's a reality. But, um, you know, being able to take visual risks and not just visual risks with audio risks, all that, it's, it is actually quite important because, that creates opening for more expansion as well while we do it. So I think when we're creating, it's really important to think about like not just yourself, but yeah, what's behind you and what's forward. Otherwise, you know, we're existing in this individuated space time complex, <laughs> complex space, which is not dictated by us. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, think of the future that you want to see when you're putting your music out there. Even if you're worried, you know, I think um, you're worried about how it will land or being, how it will be perceived. 
it's it is worth it but it does take you know a lot of self-esteem and um that's something that this colony doesn't want people to have so i get it to create great things we do need financial backing um we're in a time when like you know the sort of blue collar strata of society is having access to arts less and less you know we're all stuck just working so I think that it is really important to just, exp- you know, every time you do something, it's, it's it's creating an opening for someone else. Like, you know, those intangible things, it's like sometimes it's about like just manifesting something that doesn't exist yet, but allowing yourself to feel like you are starting that journey for others to take up as well. And yeah, when it comes to like things that don't quite make sense or aren't concrete, it's like those for me are like part of the spiritual conversation as well that I want to be able to have. You know, it's like things are beyond what we already understand and know of ourselves, the Western conception of bodies and people. So, so stupid. Uh, So it is about that being like, what about like expanding your understanding of how this makes you feel and how this makes you feel as a a body and a person as well. So, yeah, it's important to do that because I want to see people freak out more. In regards to your practice and creating and you know opening up a space you've been doing community organizing diy shows and cultural consultation for years now and you've long been an outspoken voice for racial justice how do you straddle having rapport with these conventional institutions whilst having a radical political stance yeah it's a weird spot when you got to be in that you know that sort of position i think my old self in my 20s was very much like a, you know, DIY, do it yourself, stay out of institutions, like very anti-institutional um, in my approach. And I've sort of found that it's like that is great, but also to make change you need to like my my little world of people, you know, sure, we're, we're always growing and learning, but we got it. But it became quite clear to me that like the powers that be above us have, yeah, are creating such a huge vast gap chasm between us and them between money and what we can do and also just there's so much control there and I think I'm in a privileged enough position to be able to have a voice and be able to yeah um push agendas and whatnot so um yeah I was like actually let's sort of move into that space especially as like the older I get the more responsibility I have to my community and my people so it's like you know I've done my time of like you know being a reckless punk and now I'd really like to, you know, push my focus elsewhere so that um, I can start to create pathways and legacies for other people because otherwise, you know, I'm just one person in a small pool of people and, you know, I, I just become another, you know, little blip. Um, so I'd really, I really wanted to start contributing to the way that institutions think and, you know, that was a big part of my research was like thinking about what institution is and do. Um yeah, so that's where I'm at now. Um, it's been a journey. Uh, you're someone who's really on the ground doing this kind of work, obviously, putting theory into action. Um, at this moment, is there anything that has instilled um, you with a sense of hope or where you're seeing some real shifts towards material equity? 
Yeah, definitely. Look, in my um, my consultancy life, I, I've been writing a lot of arts and culture um, strategies for different councils and regional areas, and I am I'm really lucky to be on the back end um, with a few different uh, arts and creative institutions, um, especially at the government level and state level, to sort of see that there is a shift in understanding that bottom-up approaches are really important if you put, you know, all the resources into the bottom end. That's where the creative energy is. And if you support that, you know, we can help uplift folk from that end. Um, so that's been a really cool thing to be able to see. I think also, like you said, seeing all these, like, younger folks starting to collectivise, like, it's beautiful. <laughs> I love this so much. You know, it's good to see. It's good to see them cutting their teeth and trying it out putting their resources into that. Um, I think another thing that's just like made me feel so like inspired and like we've, you know, like we're seeing the fruits of our labor, which you know, don't always get to see is seeing the younger generation of producers um, like hearing what in their music, like there's a lot of complexity. They're listening to all sorts of genres and they're really trying to mash things up. And that brought me so much like, yeah, pride and joy being like oh you know the kids like the noise back in my day <laughs> nobody wanted to listen to me doing that so yeah it's like it is beautiful to see that happening um and then you know the, I think we're in a context where it's like that all our infrastructure has been degraded not just you know with the pandemic but prior to that neoliberalism etc so it's it's good to have that positivity going while um, also like we're existing in this in this sea of, of everything sort of falling apart as well. So I I do have hope that maybe you know um, we will start to establish our own sort of mechanisms and collectives a lot more and and yeah actually create a binding network between all us folk at the bottom. I just want to implore folk that like when we're thinking about racial justice, as there is. There's a lot of people expressing the complexity of that through sound and art. It's like really worth supporting because that's our best avenue, you know, to get a voice out there in a lot of ways. Um, you know, please, for those folk that have disposable incomes, throw it into mutual aid. And a lot of us are really trying to do some crazy stuff and it's actually really cool. So help us out and um, keep creating stuff that like is reflective of oneself. I think that's the best thing in a colony one can do is to start to understand the complexities of who you are and where you come from um and you know healing those divides between generations as well which you know they don't want us to be a long-standing like strong ancestral body of um you know um on this planet doing you know but we are so do it <laughs> That is all for Race Matters this week. I'm Sharika Hallaludin. Thank you so much to our guest Bjorn Bastos, artist, researcher and community builder for that really powerful and expansive chat. Thank you also to Darren the Sargas for holding down that space. You can listen back to episodes of Race Matters at fbiradio.com slash racematters where you can also learn more about Fionn's work and her output as papophilia. 
Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters. Race matters.